Thank you for joining us for this podcast of Northwest Presbyterian Church in Dublin, Ohio. Our church exists to celebrate the gospel through Christ-centered study, worship, and prayer, to connect in community through fellowship, accountability, shepherding, and outreach, and to love our city through sacrificial giving of time, treasure, and talents so that it might flourish as a place where Jesus is known. For service times and more information about our church, visit npcdublin.org. Throughout the New Testament, Gospels interact and tell us about Jesus' interaction with with all kinds of people, with children, with um, blind people, uh, people who are lame, um, one time a foolish wedding planner who miscalculated, uh, a sick woman, high-ranking uh, Pharisee, and um, this weird group of friends called disciples. This morning, we have Jesus interacting with an outcast. Today, we call that person canceled. Cancel culture or call-out culture is a modern form of ostracism or rejection in which someone is thrust out of social or professional circles over something they said or did. And those subject to this condemnation become canceled. It's a rather scary proposition. I mean, even for us older folks, I mean, what if they discover that now deemed politically incorrect picture uh, taken in high school or college? Where's my reputation go of something I did stupidly or innocently 40 years ago? Or what if they find out I watch Sanford and Sons? <laughs> or All in the Family with Archie Bunker? And Rob Reiner. I mean, even children today are concerned with being canceled, right? By no less than Santa Claus. Because why? As the song goes, he knows if you've been naughty or nice. And nobody wants to open up a lump of coal. Nobody wants to be canceled. Our passage today from Mark's account of Jesus, talks about someone who's been subjected to cancel culture, a social outcast. So turn with me in your personal Bible or um, your uh, smart device, or if you brought a scroll, go ahead and unfurl it. (laughs) And and let's look at uh, Mark chapter 1, verses 40 through 45. There's a subsequent count uh, that's very similar in Luke 5, but we're going to use the Mark 1 account. Okay, this is the Lord's Word. And a leper came to Jesus, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he, the healed one, went out and he began to freely talk about it. 
and to spread the news so that Jesus no longer could openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. Leprosy disfigures its victims by destroying their ability to feel pain. And so lepers begin losing parts of their bodies, not necessarily because of the disease itself, but they're constantly injuring themselves because of their due to loss of pain in their limbs and they can't feel when they cut themselves, sprain their ankle, you know, uh, too hot of water. And so things start leaving them and going away and breaking and circulation problems. And the ancient world didn't exactly know this, but it did know that leprosy was a contagious disease. Anyone who got leprosy was ostracized by being isolated from family and friends, never to have physical contact with them again, never to hug their child ever, never to feel the caress of their wife or husband. And when others came near to them, lepers were required by law to shout out, unclean, back off, stay away from me, unclean. I want you to listen to um, Max Lucado's story of how it might felt to have been a leper in those days. For five years, nobody touched me. No one. Not one person. Not my wife, not my child, not my friends. No one touched me. They saw me. They spoke to me. And I sensed love in their voices. I saw concern in their eyes, but I never felt their touch. There was no touch. Not once. No one touched me. What is common to you, I coveted. Handshakes, warm embraces, a tap on the shoulder to get my attention, a kiss on the lips to steal a heart. Such moments were taken from my world. No one touched me. No one bumped into me. What I would have given to be bumped into to be caught up in a crowd for my shoulder to brush up against someone else's. But for five years, it had not happened. How could it? I wasn't even allowed on the streets. Even the rabbis, the pastors of the day, kept their distance from me. I was not permitted in the synagogue or the church, not even welcome in my own house. I was untouchable. I was a leper. And no one touched me until today. One year during the harvest, my, my grip on the scythe seemed weak and the tips of my fingers numbed and first one finger, then another. And within a short time, I could grip the tool, but scarcely feel it. And by the end of the season, I felt nothing at all. The hand grasping the handle might as well have belonged to someone else. The feeling was just gone. Now, I said nothing to my wife, but I know she suspected something. How could she not? I started carrying my hand like a wounded bird to my side. One afternoon, I plunged my hands into a basin of water, intending to wash my face, and the water reddened. 
My finger was bleeding, bleeding freely. I didn't even know I was wounded. How did I cut myself? By a knife? Did my hand slide across the sharp edge of metal? It must have, but I didn't feel anything. It's on your clothes, too, my wife whispered softly. She was behind me. Before looking at her, I looked at the crimson spots on my robe, and for the longest time, I stood over the base and just staring at my hand. Somehow, I knew my life was forever altered. Shall I go with you to tell the priest? She asked. No, I sighed. I'll go alone. I turned and looked into her moist eyes. Standing next to her was our three-year-old daughter. Squatting, I gazed into her face and I stroked her cheek, saying nothing. What could I say? I stood and looked again at my wife. She touched my shoulder with my good, and with my good hand, I touched hers. It would be our final touch. Five years have passed, and no one has touched me. Until today. Priest didn't touch me. He looked at my hand, now wrapped in a rag. He looked at my face, now shadowed and sorrowed. I never faulted him for what he said. He was only doing what he was instructed. He covered his mouth and extended his palm forward. You are unclean, he told me. And with one pronouncement... I lost my family, my farm, my future, my friends. My wife met me at the city gate with a sack of clothing and bread and coins. She didn't speak. By now, friends had gathered. I saw in their eyes, what I saw in their eyes was a precursor to what I'd seen in every eye since. Fearful pity. And as I stepped out, they stepped back. The horror of my disease was greater than their concern for my heart. So they and everyone else since has stepped back. Oh, how I repulsed those who saw me. Five years of leprosy had left my hands gnarled. Tips of my fingers were missing as the portions, uh, also portions of my ear and my nose. And at the sight of me, fathers would grab their children. Mothers covered their faces. Children pointed and stares. The rags on my body couldn't hide all of the sores, nor could the wrap on my face hide the rage in my eyes. I didn't even try to hide it anymore. How many nights did I shake my crippled fist to the sky? What did I do to deserve this, God? But never a reply. Some think I sinned. Some think my parents sinned. I don't know. All I knew is I grew tired of it all. Sleeping in the leper colony, smelling the stench. I grew so tired of the damnable bell I was required to wear around my neck to warn people of my presence as if I needed it. One glance and the and announcements began, people pointing, unclean, oh, unclean, unclean. Several weeks ago, I actually dared to walk back to my village. I had no intent of entering. Heaven knows I only wanted to look again upon my fields. 
gaze again upon my home and see perchance the face of my wife. I didn't see her, but I saw some children playing in the pasture and I hid behind a tree and watched them scamper and run. And their faces were so joyful and and their laughter so contagious that for a moment, for just a moment, I was no longer a leper. I was a farmer. I was a father. I was a man. Infused with their happiness, I stepped out from behind the tree, straightened my back. I breathed deeply and they saw me. And before I could retreat, They saw me, and they screamed, and they scattered. One lingered, though, behind the others. One paused and looked in my direction. I don't know. I can't say for sure. I think, I really think she was my daughter. I don't know, but I can't really say for sure. But I think she was looking for her father. And this is what made me take the step I took today. Of course, it was reckless. Of course, it was risky. But what did I have to lose? He calls himself God's son. Either he'll hear my complaint and kill me or accept my demands and heal me. Those were my thoughts. I came to him as a defiant, angry man, moved not by faith, but by desperate anger. God had wrought this calamity on my body, and he would either fix it or end it. But then I saw him. And when I saw him, I changed. You must remember, I'm a farmer, not a poet. So I can't find the words to describe what I saw. All I can say is that the Judean mornings are sometimes so fresh and the sunrise is so glorious to to look at. It's to forget the heat of the day before and the hurt of times past. And when I looked at his face, I saw a Judean morning. And before he spoke, spoke, I knew he cared. Somehow I knew he hated this disease more than I'd hate it. And so my rage became trust and my anger melted into hope. And from behind a rock, I watched him descend a hill and throngs, I mean, a lot of people followed him. I waited till he was only paces in front of me and I stepped out, master. He stopped and he looked in my direction as did others. And a flood of fear swept across the crowd. Arms flew in front of faces. Children ducked behind parents. Unclean, someone shouted. Again, I don't blame them. I was a huddled mass of death. But I scarcely heard them. I scarcely saw them. Their panic I had seen a thousand times. His compassion, however, I had never beheld. Everyone stepped back. Except him. He stepped toward me, toward me. Five years ago, my wife stepped toward me. She was the last to do so. Now he did. I didn't move. I just spoke. Lord, you can heal me if you will. 
Had he healed me with the word, I would have been thrilled. Had he cured me with a prayer, I would have rejoiced. But he wasn't satisfied with just speaking to me. He drew near me. He touched me. Five years ago, my wife touched me. No one had touched me since. Until today, I will. And his words were as tender as his touch. Be healed. Energy flooded my body like water through a furrowed field. In an instant, in a moment, I felt warmth, warmth where there had been numbness. I, I felt strength where there had been atrophy. My back straightened and my head lifted where I had been. I level with his belt, stooped over. Now I stood level with his face, his smiling face, and he cupped his hands. And he put them on my cheeks. And he drew me so near I could feel the warmth of his breath and see the wetness of his eyes. Don't tell anybody about this. But go and show yourself to the priest, brother, and offer the gift Moses commanded for people who are made well. And this will show the people what I have done. And so that's where I'm going. I will show myself to the priest and embrace him. I will show myself to my wife and embrace her. I will pick up my daughter and embrace her. And I will never forget the one who dared to touch me. He could have healed me with a word, but he wanted to do more than heal me. He wanted to honor me. He wanted to validate me, to christen me. Imagine that. Unworthy of the touch of man, yet worthy of the touch by God. Wow, what a powerful and visceral portrayal of what it meant and felt to be a leper. Wow. I mean, how many of you felt that kind of desperate loneliness and the guttural longing to connect? with his family, or with other humans. As much as this story helps us understand the leper, his encounter with Jesus tells us a lot about God, namely two things. Number one, God loves to get his hands dirty. And this tells us about the character and nature of God. And then number two, nobody is untouchable to God. Number one, God loves to get his hands dirty. The, the, the story I shared gives us the cultural context, which is essential to understand why Jesus' interaction with lepers was so absolutely startling and such a potent demonstration of the length to which God will go to extend grace even to people whom society believes are the least deserving of it. But then isn't that the definition of grace? Undeserved merit or getting what we don't deserve or have earned? And the way Jesus himself interacted with leprosy victims is a great testimony of God's compassion towards us. Jesus was a healer, but he wasn't just a healer. 
He was the healer who used his very hands to catalyze his miracles. And we see Jesus doing this all through the gospel. At least five times in the book of Mark alone, Jesus willingly and frequently touched the people, the men and the women and children others tried to avoid. And he not only interacted, interacted with these rejected ones, he reached out and he intentionally physically touched them. He wanted and was willing to be close to them. And that closeness was not the sign of a weak God who meddled with the undeserving, but of a strong God who could heal the sick and perform an even greater miracle, giving dignity back to the despised. You see, my friends, grace and God's power are friends, not enemies of one another. It's not a weak God who associates with weak people, but rather a strong God attracted to the opportunity to be powerful in their weakness, to be what they can't. And so grace shows not God's weakness, but his incredible strength. The Bible, particularly Romans chapter 5, verse 8, teaches us that God demonstrates his own love for us and how he came to us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. He didn't expect us to climb up to him. Sorry, all of those who sang in VBS, we are climbing Jacob's ladder. Theologically, incorrect. Bad song. All right. Sorry to pop your bubble. Jacob's, we're not climbing Jacob's ladder. We are not earning our way into heaven by our good deeds. Rather, Jesus climbed down Jacob's ladder to us. He got his hands dirty in our grimy, miserable, filthy sin so that he could have our hearts cleaned. He did the original, he had the original show, Dirty Jobs, okay? I like Mike Rowe, he's a cool dude. But Jesus really came down to do Dirty Jobs. And so a dirty God also gives us a clue about his church and world. You see, my friends, gospel culture is the opposite of cancel culture. Our culture has a general distaste for the belief in a God who judges, and yet we can't stop ourselves from judging each other with increasing ferocity. Cardinal Francis George, who's an Archbishop of Chicago, he, he wrote this a couple years ago. He said this, in the United States, everything is permitted, even encouraged. But while practically everything might be permitted, practically nothing is forgiven. By contrast, in the church, much is not permitted. But while much is not permitted, everything can be forgiven. Our culture pulls us toward vengeance, our faith towards mercy. And my friends, and vengeance always keeps us at a distance, unclean. 
Whereas mercy allows us to move forward, closing the distance. And this is vitally important because point number two, nobody is untouchable to God. Let me restate this. Nobody is below or beyond God's touch. No one is so far gone or so unworthy that God can't reach out and touch them. And that goes for the canceled as well as those who do the canceling. The weak, humiliated, disenfranchised, poor, afflicted, and diseased, God will stoop to their level and touch them. But we also must consider that the self-assured, self-made, proud, arrogant, rich people who think that they're all that in a bag of chips are not beyond God's healing touch as well. Affluenza is just as terminal as leprosy. And God is willing to stoop down to help those who are stuck and stuck on themselves. And Jesus' disciples thought this interaction with lepers how did they take it? They thought it was reckless, even dangerous. Yet almost as quickly as we're introduced to Jesus in the gospel of Mark, we find him running into a man with leprosy. And I mean, his reaction is a showstopper. I mean, Jesus didn't run, around, run away. He didn't turn his head. He didn't try to avoid the diseased man. No doubt the man had yelled unclean as he entered the city of Capernaum in a desperate effect effort to seek out the new rabbi who was rumored to have the powers to even heal leprosy. But when Jesus saw the man, the Bible said he was filled with pity or compassion. And filled means just that. He was topped off, overflowing with compassion. He was moved, as some translations of our Bible have put it. And when Jesus saw this rejected isolated, abused, very sick, canceled man. He was immediately moved from somewhere deep inside to care for this individual. And this was his first and immediate reaction. Everybody else's immediate action was what? Back off. Unclean, despicable. I don't want to get what he's got. Jesus was the opposite. His first inclination was, I'm going to move forward. This man needs help. He's in a bad place. I don't care how bad a place he's in. I don't care if I'm guilty by association. I'm moving in. And Jesus cared for him. And then Jesus did something absolutely absurd. He reached out his hand and he touched the man. I was trying to think of a, a, an equivalent to this. I would guess recently, this would be like hugging and kissing a feverish person having a coughing fit in the height of COVID, and you weren't wearing a mask. Sloppy agape with them. Is they're giving you the disease that very moment. The touch of Jesus was all it took to yank this man out of his misery and to rewrite his story. And within seconds, the leper's life course was totally altered another time. You see, when hopeless people and hopeless situations come face to face with Jesus, things change. 
when hopeless people and hopeless situations come face to face with Jesus Christ, circumstances change, people change. And this leper's life was changed forever. Jesus' touch activated something inside that man, and it must have produced one massive biological fireworks display, right? Can you imagine the chemical reaction as that man's predicament met the power of the creator? I mean, there's probably sparks flying off his neurons in every direction as twisted things straightened and numb things were resuscitated and life infused death to make something beautiful again out of this man whose days had been numbered. And it was the moment where this man's soul heard the voice of his creator again and the miraculous stepped into the inevitable and made a dying man dance. He would be canceled no more. I have to admit, full disclosure, if you read the fine print, there's one kind of canceling that, however, that Jesus was all about. Colossians 2.14 says this, He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Maybe this was the reason why Jesus himself was canceled by his culture and ours. The scandal of his unrelenting love towards those who are hated and his amazing grace to those who are guilty is just too vulgar for a culture that has to find some solace in dealing with the uncomfortable log in their own eye by pointing out the speck in somebody else's. And that's the big difference between Jesus and cancel culture. While our culture, and I have to admit, including the church, cancels people who've done terrible things. Jesus cancels the terrible things for which people are canceled for. The sins and scandals that cancel culture chooses not to forget, Jesus chooses not to remember. What he does remember and never forgets is that he is a forgiver of sins. He is the friend of sinners, the brother of the outcast, the God of the 70 times seven forgiveness, the Lord of redemption, the validator of those who've been canceled. My friends, Are you ready to walk towards Jesus today and ask for healing? I mean, no matter what you've done, and you've got skeletons in your closet because I got them too. We've got secret sins. We've got besetting things that just seem to be our bugaboo. We've really hurt people. We've really hurt ourselves. And if people really knew, we'd all get canceled by society.
But no matter what you've done, no matter what you've said, and no matter how hopeless you feel in your situation, Jesus is not repulsed by you. Rather, he invites you to come to him. And the scripture says, a broken and contrite heart he will not despise. And so Jesus will step forward and embrace you and forgive you all your sins, past, present, and future. He will heal you. And instead of canceling you, he'll rewrite your story. And it will be one filled with hope. It will be a new life. And in the end, it will be a happily ever after ending. My question to you, wherever you are today, will you come to him? Second question. Are you willing to close the gap with someone who's been canceled? Someone you've deemed sketchy. Not sure what they did. Oh, I know what they did. I just ain't going to forgive them. You know, that crazy Uncle Buck. That estranged person in your family, that sibling that's canceled you. Are you willing to walk towards them with the love of Jesus? That neighbor whom you're frustrated with. That coworker who just keeps gossiping about you. That boss who keeps, for some reason, handing the passing over you and handing the promotion to somebody else. Are you willing to, in love, like Jesus, move towards them? I mean, friends, the only reason that we're here is because we're all admitting that we're failures, right? That's how the only way. That's the prerequisite to becoming a church member. I mean, hi, my name's Steve. I'm a sinner. Let me try that again. Hi, my name is Steve. I'm a sinner. Welcome to the church where we have all been untouchables and where God has come in the person of Jesus Christ to bring healing and hope to us all. We hope you've enjoyed today's sermon podcast. Subscribe to our podcast and for more information about our church, our values, mission, and ministries, visit npcdublin.org.